Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on Beyond the Square, the podcast from the Centre of PE, Sport and Activity at Kingston University. I'm Alex Becky, and I'm joined by my colleagues Greg Dreyer and Declan Hamlin, and we are your critical friends in PISA. This series, we're looking at what factors might implicitly or explicitly shape professional judgment and decision making within teaching physical education. Previously, we have looked at our own experiences and the purpose of PE shaping our practice. In this episode, we are discussing how policy and policymakers can influence what happens in PISA in school. Apologies if our sound quality isn't up to its usual standards. We're recording this remotely whilst we're in COVID-19 lockdown. We always like to have critical questions for you to ask yourself. And mine is, how much does the national and social media narrative influence your practice? Mine is, a question to ask yourself when reading a policy document is, who has written that document and what might their agenda be? And my questions are, where does the policy come from? What problem is it trying to solve? Why has this problem been prioritised above other problems? And what is the evidence that there is actually a problem? Have the people who are meant to be served by the policy been consulted? Is it top down or bottom up? So it's very much about what the processes of policy making are and how they impact on the final policy. So following on from those questions, the first point I'd like to make is that policy needs to be played out. It may be formed by central government in the UK's case in Whitehall, but it needs to be applied by you in your school. As a result, practitioners have agency you can bring your values, skills and vision to work within, or in the case of a wonderful head teacher I had the opportunity to work for, simply reject the policy. Uh, He showed really bold leadership by saying that a particular national education policy was not right for the students in our school, and we simply didn't apply it. Although I do appreciate that it's much easier for a head teacher to do that than a head of department or an NQT. To make informed decisions, and and use our agency wisely, we need to understand how policy works. The questions I ask might help us to do that. So I'm going to expand on the questions and then give an example. The first is a word of caution. Policymakers almost always present their policy as common sense. And as we all know, this is neither commonly held and often it doesn't make any sense. In fact, common sense is often a disguise. It's a cloak for policymakers to run with a set of unchallenged assumptions that emanate from an ideological position. Policy is never neutral. Who would not want, for example, to be promoting a policy that would lead to healthy, enjoyable and fulfilling lives for young people? The problems arise when PE gets dumped on and it becomes a policy ground for a plethora of social ills ranging from weight gain to character development to social cohesion. In fact, there's nothing new in this. In the mid-19th century, Dr. Matthew Arnold, head teacher of rugby school, famously said that he justified the boys, and they were boys, going out to play really rough, violent games in order to build character. And this has been deeply rooted in a whole range of policies and of uh, indeed the way that the subject has been come to be viewed. And if we look at the purpose of study for the National Curriculum 2014, a full, what, 170 years after Matthew Arnold, there's still reference to building character and fair play. PE sport and activity is cheap and seemingly straightforward. It's certainly a lot cheaper and more straightforward than embarking on policy that addresses the complexities 
of the aforementioned social problems. And it's politically safer to try to get kids to run around a little bit more with policies like the Daily Mile than it might be to take on the food industry. It's much easier to present responsibility as a matter for the individual, where the role of PE, sport and activity in a school is to equip young people with what they need to make quote-unquote good health choices rather than look at the structural factors that present challenges to a lot of young people. People whose voices are almost always absent from the policy-making process and whose lives are often very, very different to the policymakers' lives themselves. Lives and experiences that the policymakers draw on when constructing policy. The point I'm making is that policy is neither common sense nor is it neutral. It either perpetuates or challenges the status quo. And before I pass over, I'd like to use the National Curriculum for England as an example policy. So to really understand where it came from, we need to get under the skin of its context, its historical context. 2010 saw a change of government from the new Labour government to the coalition government. Austerity was government policy. Michael Gove announced the end of the previous policy of PE, school sports, youth sport. And of course, in uh, London, there was the 2012 Olympics. Now, the most interesting insights to how the Olympics and change of government impacted on the national curriculum can be seen in the two links that are on our website. And those links are a BBC report and an interview that David Cameron, the then Prime Minister, gave on radio, in which he critiqued PESIP as a box-ticking exercise. And he then went on to say the required two hours of PE in school sport were being filled, and you can hear him say this on the interview, by activities like Indian dance. And he then said that he wants to see a return to, quote, recognised and recognisable sport. Many people at the time said this is a staggering statement. Recognised by whom? Who on earth doesn't recognise Indian dance? What was his problem with Indian dance? He then went on to uh, enlighten us and list recognised sports. He listed football, rugby and cricket. And those people who follow Michael Spicer uh, at the moment, uh, there was a real room next door moment there where it was as if someone was whispering in his ear, add something for the girls. And he said, oh, and netball. So this was PE's MAGA moment. It was a return to traditional values, moving away, as he said, from the everyone's a winner culture. And he then went on to continue a long-standing theme around teachers who are perpetuating non-competitive sport. In many ways, we feel at CPs that this is just completely the wrong conversation. It's like buying a pair of shoes and deciding whether they should be brown or black. But really, the key question is, do they fit? I was also, at the time, driving to Saturday school fixtures in a, a school I worked in in Newham and listening to the radio where commentators were picking up on this theme and talking about the lack of competitive sport for kids in schools. Fast forward to how this impacted on the national curriculum a couple of years later, 2013-2014, and lo and behold, competitive sport is mentioned far more than in any of the previous versions of the national curriculum, and I think there was seven previous versions from 1988. Might need a fact check on that. In particular, competitive sport at primary school, and this came about at a time when national governing bodies were working really hard to review how children experience their sports. 
Indeed, the very recognised and recognisable sports that the Prime Minister mentioned were coming up with things like the FA's Youth Review, Rugby's Kid First Rugby, that were very much swimming in the exact opposite direction to the themes coming through in the national curriculum. Nevertheless, going back to the key questions and how this plays out, schools are then tasked with delivering on policy. And how would a primary school make sense of a national curriculum policy which is advocating in no uncertain terms that all children should be involved in competitive sport. So journalists and media uh, lead and shape the narrative. And so, for example, they focus lots on health and not on movement competency as outcomes of PE, sport and activity, or PISA as we like to call it. It's what the senior leadership team, the governors, your parents and carers in your school communities will read to obtain their information about PISA matters. However, if your purpose is transparent, you should not receive really any pressure from any of those to, to implement any new policy or opportunities that don't align and share your purpose. They should only really ever share with you and support you with information that aligns to your purpose rather than providing any red herrings. So it's really clear your purpose is shared with everybody. And that would obviously then, if it's shared collectively, it will help you sift through the policy to see if it can either help you and guide you or whether it should be put to one side and not touched. It's really interesting how many different bodies can influence your practice with their, their own narratives and some intentionally, some intentionally. So we have a classic example of Ofsted shaping many practice in schools with ever not wanting to see or be a shaper of practice. Uh, you know, and they've got their document about Ofsted myths. And, you know, and the biggest one is obviously about Ofsted wanting to see lesson plans. And they've never, ever said that they need to see a lesson plan for a lesson that's observed. What inspectors will discuss, though, with school leaders is their curriculum uh, vision and ambitions for their pupils. You know, and is your purpose or intent in Ofsted speak clear? They'll want to know then if they can see that your curriculum aligns to it in terms of your implementation. And then, of course, whether your purpose has any impact. Physical examination boards also appear to be policymakers for secondary school PISA as well, without ever intending to be. Many schools design their curricula around the content of the examinations and use GCC criteria to assess pupils at key stage three and four. Why is this so? Why should the exam outcomes ever become the purpose for so many PE departments? And, and why are they so misaligned by chronological age too? We shouldn't really be assessing children in year seven with criteria that's set for year 11 pupils, but it is still seen in many schools throughout the country. So where can PE teachers speak up or hear other sides of the argument outside of their own departments? Newspapers, journal articles, blogs and Twitter. These are all places, but do you need to be part of the club for example, to gain access to them as part of AFPI or the Youthport Trust? And how do you separate those who are self-promoters and those who have a keen interest in being critically engaged with teaching, learning and PISA? You really must develop your ability to be critically reflective. And we've got an aid to help you with this, our CPISA reflective tool, which is available on our blog on our WordPress site. And if you follow that, it's a simple way to help you critically reflect with what policy is suggesting. One way you may be able to reflect critically is with your department members so could you review new policy at a meeting and then share thoughts and then could you decide as a group how that policy could shape your work or does it meet your purpose robustly and therefore if you need to use that policy or park it as PE teachers you aren't just responsible for teaching PE providing opportunities for PEA during the school day and increasing participation in school sport but advocating for the role of movement in your pupils lives PE is powerful, but not just for the nurturing of the physically educated person. It is powerful because it is the only time every child in this country is engaged in some form of physical activity. 
This makes it very attractive to a wide range of organisations with competing agendas. Some who have children's best interests at heart, but others whose intentions are not always so clear. Policy and policymakers will always be trying to shape the square of what PISA is and what it looks like, often to support their own cause. Often, policy is done to PE teachers rather than with PE teachers. And this can cause problems. If you are to go beyond the square to ensure that the PE, school sport and physical activity you are providing is inclusive, meaningful, personally relevant and educative for the children you are responsible, you need to be informed. Informed about the policy and those making the policy, who they are, what expertise they have, what their agenda is and who benefits. But most importantly, is it right for your school community and the needs of your young people? Sometimes you may have no choice and will have to implement policy the best you can, but you need to do that from an informed and critical position. You need to be aware of policy and speak up if and when you think it is right to do so. This will allow you to shape how the policy is implemented in your school and for your children. Okay, that's great, Alex. Thanks very much. And so just to let you know, for your convenience, we've posted lots of policy documents in our WordPress site that is associated with this podcast. And they're from many agencies that work within physical education, sport and activity. Uh, So you'll see documents there from the Department for Education, Ofsted, Sport England, the Association for PE, Youth Sport Trust and the all party parliamentary groups as well. So we hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and it's helped you to critically reflect. Do continue your critical reflections, engage all people within your departments. And of course, if you want to continue today's conversation with us, you can contact us via Twitter at cpisa underscore Kingston or email us at cpisa at kingston.ac.uk. So it's goodbye from Greg, Alex and myself, Declan. And remember to keep going beyond the square. Thank you.